This is your host, Trevor Karitsin, and me and Steve, we're going to do another Q&A episode for you guys. So as always, thank you for submitting your questions. If you have any questions, you can send me a DM on Instagram, or you can email me them. I forward all the questions to Steve, and then Steve compiles a list of 10 questions for every episode. So we've got 10 really good questions. Steve, do you want to list off the first question right away? Sure. I just want to, like, real quick, I want to, like, talk about something. Um, so I saw a show yesterday. Um, it was really disturbing. Um, really quick. So, um, you know, they get married, he, they have a kid, the kid's like a teenager, little daughter. And um, his, um, the coworker is cheating uh, with his wife. So um, he finds out about it. And, you know, they get counseling, or whatever. She promises him, hey, I'm not going to cheat on you anymore. So then he finds out like, few months later she's back cheating on him again with the same co-worker so he takes her out on the boat this is in, in minnesota he takes her on the boat she doesn't know how to swim he takes her out in the middle of the lake he asks her he's like do you love me straight up do you love me and she says no so he picks her up and he thumps her into the water and then drives away on the boat then he goes to the guy's house shoots him in the balls and shoots him in the heart because the balls is the penis and the heart, you know, is the heart for a broken heart. And then he calls the police. He said, you know what? I did it. So, you know, if you guys are listening out there, stop cheating on your spouses and, and your wives and stuff. Cause this is the type of shit that can happen, you know? So you have to be loyal to people in life. So, um, this brings us to our first topic <laughs> and it has to do with health bars. Cause we get a lot of questions about health bars. So recommend us a healthy heart health bar, Trevor. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go on a rant here. And this rant actually applies to myself because I was at Costco yesterday and for whatever reason, I was in the bar section. You know, there's like the granola bar, protein bar section. And I was looking through all the bars and for whatever reason, I really wanted to find a bar that I could eat. Most of them were pretty horrible, but there were a couple that were, you know, they're decent, like they, they weren't, great but it was basically just like dried fruit and, and nuts and stuff they're still high in sugar but at least there's natural sugar from like dates and things like that and then kind of i stopped what i was doing i'm like trevor what are you doing like why do you need to eat a non-perishable bar you live in an affluent country you have a refrigerator you can eat real food like i i, I don't and I, I get questions like this every single day every single day one of my clients will ask me what do you recommend for a protein bar or whatever, and I, I don't understand why we have this fascination with bars. Like, I, like I, I'm guessing it's probably the media or marketing or something. Why not just eat a real food? Like, we know we're not supposed to eat processed foods. We know we're not supposed to eat these things. So why do we have this fascination of trying to find some bar? Even if even the healthiest bar on the market, it's not going to be as good as real food. So I would say, don't buy bars. Don't eat bars. Eat real food. What are your thoughts, Steve? Yeah, the, the problem with the bars is even if they do help have healthy ingredients in them, they're still processed and they're still designed to sit on the shelf 
for a long, long time. So anything that can sit on a shelf for a long time isn't going to uh, be good for you. That's that's a pretty good rule of thumb. And it's hard to really argue that. Um, you know, if you want to snack on something, get some raw nuts. Um, even if you add salt to the nuts, that's okay. Everyone's scared of salt. Add some salt to the nuts if you don't like raw nuts plain, you know? How about fruit? You know, get a cooler and take some fruit with you. Um, you know, there's lots of fruits that you can take on the road. Bananas, apples, those are, you know, very hearty fruits that you can take on the road. You don't need a cooler for those. So the, pro the protein bar thing, I'm a little disturbed when I hear someone that consumes a protein bar every day. Because you put that thing in your body, your body has a reaction to it. And the reaction is not a good thing. So stop obsessing over how much protein I'm getting. And to answer your question, Trevor, it's probably that. It's probably people are so obsessed with, I got to get this much protein. I got to get 200 grams of protein a day. So yeah, let me just eat two of these protein bars. They're 30 grams of protein each. That's 60 grams of protein. Let me drink this protein shake. This is 35 grams of protein. You know, and they're so obsessed with meeting their macros. And that's something that I try to teach guys, don't worry about how much protein you're getting. Don't worry about your macros. Let the professional bodybuilders and let the people who compete and stuff and the people that Trevor trains for these competitions, let them worry about that shit. You are an average Joe, gym rat. Don't worry about that crap. If you eat a protein bar, I guarantee you, you're going to feel like shit. Okay, and that's not going to be good for a workout. I'd much rather you eat something that's easy to digest, like fruit. Fruit is a perfect food to eat if you must have something before your workout. Nuts are wonderful, but do not consume them before a workout because they do, they are kind of um, difficult to digest. So, fruit is the best option if you need something on the go. Out of anything that great, great, uh, great summary, Steve. Want to do topic number two? The next one is EQ. Tell me all about EQ. So Trevor, have you run EQ? And what did you think about it when you did run it? So I really like EQ. EQ is pretty mild when it comes to steroid. In terms of hair loss safety, I'd give it about a seven out of 10. So it's one of the safest steroids when it comes to hair loss. It's not liver toxic. It does aromatize into estrogen, but it barely aromatizes. So you only need a light AI. Um, most people, when they run blood work on EQ, it's, it's pretty good. Like EQ is pretty forgiving when it comes to your lipid profiles and things like that. Um, I really like EQ. I think if you're looking to, you know, do a clean, lean bulk, EQ is great. I would stack it with a mild androgen. So you could stack it with proviron. You could stack it with a TRT dosage of test. I think 400 to 600 milligrams per week is a sweet spot for EQ. And like I said, add in a very light AI, um, maybe like, 6.75 milligrams of arimacin every other day. You won't need much because it barely aromatizes into estrogen. Um, Steve, do you want to talk about the history of EQ? Because a lot of people still think it's a, a race steroid, a racehorse steroid. Yeah, the reason they think that is because it was human grade for a period of time. I believe about 15 years it was human grade. And just like all steroids, it was designed for specific reasons. Most of them were designed for to prevent muscle wasting. Um, so that's what EQ was used for. It was then banned, and then it was brought back as a vet steroid. And it's used 
um, on a lot of racehorses because it's so um, good at raising uh, endurance and red blood cell count without giving those nasty side effects that are found in other steroids because it's mild, like Trevor said. So, um, you know, it's not, it's a lot of people are scared to use it because they think it's a vet steroid and it's not. So you want to basically just don't listen to these people that are telling you that it's actually one of the most, one of the best steroids to use, to be honest with you, because it won't give you horrible side effects. It won't affect your sleep. It won't cause your estrogens to go sky high. It won't dehydrate you. It won't really, um, mess with your insulin sensitivity, all that stuff. So it's, it's pretty good. Um, it's one you definitely want to try if you're, if you're up for a second, third or fourth cycle and you want something to stack. Um, that's, that's something to try for sure. And it's great for those of you who like to live an active lifestyle. Anything else to add? We'll go on. He was actually originally developed for HIV patients to prevent muscle loss, but also increase red blood cell count. So one word of caution with EQ is that it is known to increase your red blood cell count, which will increase your hematocrit. So if you're using EQ, you're most likely going to want to be giving blood every eight to 12 weeks, unless you have low red blood cells to begin with. But most bodybuilders are on the high side of the hematocrit before they use steroids. So not, not a big issue. Just give blood every eight to 12 weeks when you're on a cycle with EQ. Steve, you can go ahead and do topic three. The next one is why are Italians so um, in lean if they eat so much bread, pasta, pizza, and all this Italian food, lasagna? It's kind of a I weird do. question, but it, it is a really good question. I actually um, really like this question. I, I really do. Steve, do you want to start or do you want me to start? Well, let me, let me answer it this way, and I'll let you answer it your way. But let me just say every culture in the world has – food that's part of their culture right and it's important not to be ignorant just because someone's italian doesn't mean they just go around eating pizza lasagna and, and pasta all day all right i mean there's just because someone is chinese doesn't mean they go around eating beef and broccoli all day so let's get away from like the ignorance of people like when someone asks you trevor you know what's your ethnic background and you say yeah i'm a Ru i'm russian i mean do they really think you just sit around like you know, um, eating soup all day. I mean, it's just the ignorance of people is unbelievable, but let's, let's kind of tackle this a little bit. Every food around the world, if you go to any other country and, and, and eat their cultured food, whether it be Mexican food, Chinese food, Japanese food, American food, whatever, there is food that food can be made unhealthy or it can be made healthy. Let's use Mexican food. For example, what are Mexican, what's Mexican food? Like it's, it's, it's um, beef, chicken, fajitas, rice, beans, stuff like that, right? Well, are fajitas good for you? No, because they have flour in them. But if you make your own fajitas, maybe out of cauliflower, it can be a healthy option. If you get, um, if you drench the, the beans in like hydrogenated oil and canola oil, like they do in restaurants, it's not healthy. But if you make the beans from scratch on your own with healthy ingredients, then it's healthy. Cheese, if you get the crappy craft cheese, you know, in a powder form, it's not healthy. But if you get a good quality European unpasteurized cheese, 
goat cheese maybe, then it can be, it can be a healthy option. So it just depends how you're making this food. And the same thing with Italian food. If you make the pizza from cauliflower crust, you use good quality ingredients, you use, you know, raw um, tomatoes in it, that's fine. The, the, the pizza that you're thinking of that's in the United States, like that's, that they sell at Papa John's or Pizza Hut or Domino's, isn't real pizza. If you go to Italy, they'll laugh at you if they, if they see you eating that. And same thing with lasagna. Like this is the, you know, it's the difference between what it, it's, it's how the food is prepared and the ingredients that are used. So any food in any country, Italian, Greek, Russian, whatever, it can be unhealthy or it can be healthy. Okay. So I'm going to piggyback on this question because I get asked a similar question all the time. It's that Trevor, I see you, I see, I know you're, uh, have a background in modeling and I see these models eat crap, but they stay so thin. And the same thing is, you know, the, the French woman syndrome or what you say is that you'll see a French woman eat a baguette with butter and then you'll be like, how is she so thin? Well, it really comes down to portion sizes. If you go to Europe, it's completely different culture when it comes to food. They actually sit down and enjoy their meals. They're not rushed. They, when they eat, they don't do anything but eat. When they eat, that's the time to socialize. They're not on the computer. They're not driving. They're not in front of the TV or anything like that. And they don't eat a massive serving. Like if they're going to have bread with butter, it's going to be a small slice of bread. It's going to have, you know, a pallet of butter. If you calculate the calories in it, maybe 200 calories from the bread and maybe 150 calories from butter. It's the portion sizes, right? Let's, let's say you ate perfectly healthy and then you ate a small chocolate bar before bed every night. You pro- that probably wouldn't even wreck your physique at all because it's the quantity. The problem we have here in North America is the foods we're eating are crap, but we're also just eating way too much. It's, it's as simple as that. And then also in Europe, they're extremely active, right? So they're, they're walking everywhere, they're biking everywhere. Very few people in Europe um, own cars. Um, just with the population density, it's very hard to park and find parking. So most of them will walk to work, bike to work and things like that. So it's, it's a different society and it's a different relationship with food. So I think that's a really, really good question. It's actually not the food itself. It's the quantity of the food. And then also the other factors they are all less stressed. They're exercising more. They're most likely sleeping better. There's a lot of other things to body composition than just diet. Anything else do you want to add, Steve? Yeah, the, the bad news is uh, China used to not have obesity and type 2 diabetes, and now they've actually overtaken the United States in, in both, believe it or not. It's because they when, not- when I was in, When I was in Hong Kong, you would see the elders, and they would be skinny as rails. Like skinny, their skin looked good. You could tell they were eating a traditional Chinese diet. You would look at the millennials, they were all fat. Yeah. It was, it and, was and the weirdest thing. You would see like two- healthy parents with two fat kids. It almost looked like they adopted those kids. Like it, it was, it was really depressing because it really showed firsthand what our North American culture is doing to people. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's the, the, the blame is on the North American companies that have went there and opened up places and made it cool to eat their food. Like it's cool to eat McDonald's and in Subway and stuff like that to them. That's cool. But also the sugar, um, they've adopted sugar in their diet and they never had sugar. So the elders would eat rice for carbs and now the kids are eating candy and candy bars and all that stuff and chocolate and all that crap. So that's, that's, that's what's happening. So um, it is spreading around the world. So um, it's not just the United States that's fat. 
anymore. Uh, the, the next topic, guys, is going to be, uh, let's see, warm up, help before weight training. So Trevor, take us back to your last time in the gym and what did you work out and what did you do to warm up and how important is warming up? So warming up is very important, not just for warming up your physical body, but also for your mind. So um, today I was doing blood analysis at the university. It's a freaking gong show because you try to schedule people every 15 minutes and then people are late. They don't show up for their appointments. People, I don't know how people don't understand how doodle works, but they'll schedule for Thursday, 8 a.m. and they'll show up at Wednesday. 8 so it's just, it's a gong show. So like I was, my, my mind was going a million, a million, uh, million different ways a minute. So when I finally got to the gym, I did legs today. Um, what I like to do for a leg warm-up is that legs and squats are hip-dominant exercises. So everyone is so quick to blame tight quads when it comes to squats, but most people have very tight hips, and that's what's not allowing them to get to the proper squat depth, and that's what's giving them pressure on their knees. So what I like to do is I like to foam roll my quads. I'll do that for you know five or ten minutes, just really nice and light, and then I'll do hip stretches um, and hip openers. So basically five to 10 minutes of foam rolling my quads and then five to 10 minutes of hip openers. If you do some hip openers and some hip stretches before you squat, I promise your squat depth will be way deeper and you won't have any knee pain. So that's what I like to do. Um, if I was going to train upper body, I would do, you know, things like arm circles, things like light push-ups, uh, things like maybe some body weight pull-ups, things like that. It's important just to get some blood in the muscle. Um, you could also, you know, walk on the treadmill for five or 10 minutes. It's, I, I think warming up is really important, obviously to get your internal body temperature up, but also to just, just kind of like turn off your brain, focus on the task at hand. You're going to get so much more of your workout. If you take that five to 10 minutes to prepare for it, it's almost like creating an agenda for the day. You're going to have so much more out of your day because you're going to have everything scheduled and, and you're going to know exactly what to do at each time. What, what do you do for a warm up, Steve? Yeah, so a lot of people complain um, with the squats and, and bench press and stuff because if you go to a franchise gym, you know, there's always going to be people on it and you have to wait your turn, right? So it's not always possible to do what you said. It's not always possible on a bench press to get in there and do the bar, you know, do a couple sets on the bar and put a little lightweight on, do a couple sets because you not only have people waiting for you to finish, but you also have to wait for the person so you don't have that, that, that opportunity to do that. So what people do is they just skip the warm up. They just go straight in into it because they got someone else breathing down their neck. So this is, this is the easy solution for that. Let's say you're doing, you want to do squats, go and grab a 45 pound weight while the other person is on the squat machine, uh, the, the squat rack and wait your, you know, let them know, hey, you know, how many more sets you got? He's going to say, oh, I got two more sets. You're like, okay, no problem. Take your time. You know, I'll get in there after you. This way, if someone else comes up, he can tell them, hey, yeah, this other guy's waiting. But get a 45-pound weight, just go in front of the mirror, and just do some squats with the 45-pound weight. That's like squatting the bar. So that's your warm-up for that. If you're doing bench press, same thing. But this time, go to a machine. Go to the machine which uh, any pushing machine in the gym and just do some light work on the pushing machines. There's, they're always open, the pushing machines or the hammer, the hammer machines. They're always open. So everyone's always hogging to actually bench press, but those machines are open. So do some warm-ups on those. 
And then that kind of takes away the excuse of, well, I can't warm up because I got someone breathing down my neck. So after you're done with your warm up, then you can go and you can start putting weight on. But I see a lot of people um, that have to learn the lesson the hard way and they don't warm up properly. It's very, very important to warm up, guys. Don't let your ego get in the way of warming up. You know, don't just walk in there and throw 200 pounds on the bench and start ripping off a bunch of reps because that's how you're going to end up fucking up your shoulder. So you got to, you got to warm up. It's very, very, very important. I'm going to say one more thing, Steve, and then you can go into our next question. Just as it's important to warm up, it's important to cool down. I see guys all the time. They're going in their workout, they're going beast mode, and then they just leave. That's not a good idea. Just as you gradually increase the intensity, you gradually want to decrease the intensity. So what I recommend everyone do, 15 minutes after your workout, do some stretching and stretch the muscle you just trained. It's a great time to stretch. Those muscles are going to be warm. They're going to be loose. Um, so if you just train quads, do some, sorry, if you just train legs, do some quad stretches, some hamstring stretches, some glute stretches, some calf stretches, some hip flexor stretches, you know, 10 to 15 minutes, that's going to get your back into parasympathetic. And it, it's just, it's just good all around. Most people would benefit from stretching. Most people are very tight. So I always recommend after your workout, just do 10 to 15 minutes of stretching and then get on with your day. Next question is how do I decrease my running time? So I'll take this one first. Um, I don't know, if, Trevor, if you have much experience with, with running, but there's a couple different ways you can approach this. Let's say you're training for a 5K. 5K is, is 3.1 miles, 5 kilo, kilometers. So let's say your, your 5K time at your last race was 25 minutes. You want to get, get that down to 24, 23 minutes. What you need to do, okay, with running, running is much different than weight training. With running, you have to really, really push yourself, okay, to the point where, you know, it feels like your heart's about to jump out of your chest. So with running, when you're going running on a trail or something, it's really good to run with a running group. Find someone who runs around your time or better and then kind of attack that person during the race. So always keep that person, you know, in, right in front of you. Don't let him get too far ahead. This way you improve. If you don't push yourself when you run, you will never improve. Also with running, it's different than weight training because with running, you need to run. You need to put in the miles. You can't just go and run two or three times a week and expect to improve your time. You need to run more than that. But if you overdo it with the running, you'll also just injure yourself and set yourself back. So what I recommend is LSD, long, slow distance, which is pretty much like a 50-minute run. So very slow distance. If you're running a 25-minute 5K, for example, then a long, slow distance would be maybe a 9.5 or 10-minute mile, okay? Per, for, so for, in 50 minutes, you're going to run about a 10-minute mile. And then you're going to basically try to get that knocked down a little, little by little. But the long, slow distance keeps your heart rate elevated for a long period of time. And it kind of trains your heart. I don't like interval training very much. And a lot of guys are like going to be like, wow, you're crazy. But interval training is really, really hard on your body. And it doesn't work. It doesn't work as good as you think. Do interval training maybe once every two weeks. That's it. 
don't overdo it on the interval training. It's not going to make you that much better. The long, slow distance will improve your, your run time. Also, tempo runs are really good. So if you run a 25-minute 5K, run a 27-minute 5K. So you're adding two, two minutes to your run. It's like, that's called a tempo run. So you basically about 45 seconds off your mile every mile. That's, that's your goal. So how do we do this, guys? The best advice, like I said, a running group, get, get with a running group. They have them everywhere. They usually meet up a certain time, and you can get to know people and then go running with them, okay, here and there. Number two, a GPS watch. Very, very helpful. GPS watch, you can set it to beep when you had a certain pace. You want to keep, you want to keep your pace either lower or higher, depends what you're doing. Also, I love sprints, wind sprints. For a 5K, um, 3.1 miles, I like to do a 1.5 to 1.7 mile wind sprint. And with a wind sprint, you're really knocking your time down about a minute and a half per mile. So if you're doing a, you know, if you usually do like a eight minute 5K per mile, knock that down to about six and a half minutes on the wind sprint. And um, it's really, really hard, but that's gonna kind of, you know, push yourself on the speed factor. And the long, slow distance will kind of increase your endurance. So it's the best of both worlds. So that was a really good answer. Um, I'll just add two small additions to that. Um, I find running on a track is way more enjoyable than running on a treadmill. So if you're like me and you live in a winter climate where you can't run outside the majority of the year, look into a university gym. Most of them have running tracks. Um, I just, I, I've always enjoyed running on a track or running on actual ground more than running on a treadmill. So that'd be one thing I would look into. Um, look into uh, a running track. And again, if you are looking for one in your area, chances are a university gym will have one. And then if you're looking for any supplements to take to improve your running, look into Cardarin. So Cardarin is a SARM, it's a PPR agonist. I did a short five-minute video explaining what Carterin is. If you just Google YouTube, Trevor Karitz and Carterin, it'll be the first thing that comes up. Um, that'd be a great thing to take if you're looking for something to give you an edge. Carterin is not a hormone. It's not a stimulant. It's very safe to take. Um, I also did another video, Carterin does it cause cancer because there is a big misconception about Carterin causing cancer based on a rat study that was done. So watch those two videos. Um, and again, this would be for a performance uh, this would be for someone who's looking to use performance enhancing drugs because Carterin, even though it's not illegal, is banned by the World Anti-Doping Agency. So if you're on the Olympic track team or anything like that, then this wouldn't apply to you. But if you're looking for something that'll give you a boost, definitely check out Carterin. Steve, do you want to do the next yeah. question? Yeah, we'll have more tips on this in, in future episodes because there's a lot to cover on this. Um, runners, you know, do a lot of things wrong, just like weightlifters, so... Um, the next one is I ran my cycle with no AI, no ancillaries or ancillaries, whatever you want to pronounce it. I guess he's saying he didn't run anything on cycle in terms of like N2, he didn't run his N2 guard. He didn't run his N2 generate. He didn't run Aromasin. He didn't run shit. And then he doesn't have a PCT on hand and he's about to finish his cycle and he wants help. He wants to know what he should do. So let me just say this really quick. You're not going to die if you don't run your proper stuff on cycle or a PCT, you're not going to die. But what you will do is you will not feel well. You're going to crash after cycle. 
you're going to run the risk of having things on cycle like gynecomastia, which are bitch tits, lots of water retention, insomnia, erectile dysfunction, libido problems, list goes on and on. And then you're going to risk also fucking up your HPTA because you're not going to recover as well. And you're going to lose all your gains, but you're not going to die. That's the good news. So, you know, we really have to remember, we have to run cycles correctly. Go ahead, Trevor. So my advice to be, let this be a learning experience. If you do decide to use steroids in the future, do a lot more research before shoving a needle in your butt. Um, if you go on Google and Google evolutionary.org, perfect PCT, there's a really good article that explains um, how to run a PCT after your cycle. Now, again, this needs to be individualized, but it's a very good starting point and it'll give you a lot of background research and information. I'm not sure what you used for your steroid cycle. You didn't list that, but if you used long esters, you wouldn't actually start your PCT until two weeks after your cycle. So you could still get everything you need for your PCT on hand, especially if you use like a domestic source for the Clomid and Novadex. So I would go on evolutionary.org, read the perfect PCT, learn what a proper PCT is, buy everything, and then hopefully it comes in time that you can start your PCT two weeks after your last injection. But like Steve said, you're not going to die if you don't run a profit, proper perfect PCT. You're just going to crash really hard after your cycle because a per, uh, PCT basically gives you a soft landing. It basically helps your natural testosterone production start after your cycle. Um, a PCT is not like a, uh, it's not like a light switch. It's kind of, it's kind of like a dimmer switch, right? It's just going to kind of help your body restart after your cycle. Um, so that's what I would do is I would do, uh, do some research try to get everything on hand and try to start your PCT as soon as possible and let this be a learning experience because if you keep running cycles without the proper support supplements, you're going to do a lot to your health and you might even end up with some serious side effects like gynecomastia or something like that, which no one wants. So Steve, do you have anything to add or do you want to go to the next the good, the good news is if you go on our website, evolution.org or elitefitness.com, we do have sponsors that have everything you need. So definitely order what you need ASAP so it gets to you. And then number two, blood work. I'd be running blood work ASAP. If you go on evolutionary.org or Elite Fitness, go on my, uh, um, any one of my posts, Steve Smee, and you'll see my signature. I have a link to blood work with a coupon code. Get blood work done right now, and then you'll get results the next day. See where your estrogen is at. If your estrogen is sky high, you need to get that remedied immediately. Otherwise, you will be fitting yourself for a bra very, very soon. All right, next question is a story sent in by Cheryl. She is a female who listens to the show. She says she's a big fan of Trevor, by the way. Um, she says Trevor is hot. That's what she said. I, I don't know about that, but... Uh, this is her story she sent in. She said that she came home early from work and she noticed a car in the driveway that she didn't recognize. So she went inside the house, went up the stairs, and she started hearing some groaning. She opens the bedroom door and she said that she saw the biggest horror of her life. She saw her boyfriend giving head to another guy. She immediately kicks him out of the house then two weeks later, she checks his Facebook page, and he is in a relationship with a guy. So she 
she he basically dumps her for a guy and she wants to know why do guys do stuff like this and what should she do so trevor i'll let you have first crack at this uh story that's a pretty crazy story um her boyfriend was obviously very confused he was obviously struggling with his sexual identity i wouldn't take this as a blow to you because it doesn't it doesn't sound like he was breaking up with you it just sounds like he was probably homosexual for a long time, but was scared to come out of the closet and was only dating you to kind of hide his true sexuality. Um, so I wouldn't take this as a personal knock or anything like this because it doesn't sound like he, it doesn't sound like he was doing this to, it's not like he cheated on you with another woman, right? He cheated on you with a man. So it's just a messy situation. Unfortunately, when things like this happen, there's really no good answer. There's no... There's no good advice you can give because it just sucks. Like it's just one of those situations where it just sucks. You kind of just got to pick up the pieces, try not to let it affect you too much and move on. So Cheryl, you sound like a really nice woman. Just move on. Don't take it personally. Um, don't, don't cheat on, don't cheat on him with a woman or something to get back at him and say, Hey, two can play this game or something like that. Just take a deep breath, sigh it off and then just focus on the positives. Now you're single. Now you can find, a better guy who will treat you right. Steve, what are, what are your thoughts? Yeah, are you single, Trevor? She hits you up? I live in Winnipeg, though. That's the problem. Yeah, I don't know where she lives, but um, if she lives close by, maybe hit Trevor up. But um, I, would, I would go get an STD test because, um, you know, there are a lot of STDs out there, and there's one particular STD. Um, Trevor, maybe you know the name of it. It's not – the name isn't coming to me right now, but it does cause cancer in women. And it is only transmitted from men to women. And men do not know if they have it. There's like zero symptoms in men. Like men can carry this for life and it'll never affect them, but it will cause cancer in females, like in their ovaries or something. I don't know. Do you know what it is, Trevor? I think it's ovarian cancer. No, but it's a, it's a type of STD that, that causes that. I can't, I know what you're talking about. I can't yeah. remember yeah i don't know i don't know but, but um what, what you said steve is is really good because a lot of homosexuals don't use protection because they obviously can't get pregnant so getting an sti test actually the correct word is sexually transmitted infection um getting an sti test would be a really smart thing to do because chances are he would be at higher risk of getting of having an sti because a lot of homosexuals don't use protection. So yeah, getting an STI test, it's something you should be doing regularly if you're sexually active anyways. But that was that was really good advice, Steve. There are also STDs that you can get from not sex, just from contact. So you want to be aware of that too, believe it or not, because um, that's still contact. Um, but also if you go on, again, Cheryl, if you go on, and, and men too who are listening to this, guys and girls listening to this, go get STD tested before you get a new partner or if you're just coming off a relationship because you never know what that person could give you. You never know what that person could be cheating on you with, whatever. So go get an STD test. It's only about 200 bucks, okay? And it's well worth it for peace of mind. And you can go again on our website, check my signature, same thing. There's the same company. It's an anonymous. You don't have to like, you know, make a big deal out of it. It's 200 bucks. There's a code on there. Go get that done because you never know what you could have. This way, now, when you find someone else, 
you're not giving them an STD. And then they're coming back and like, oh my God, I have an STD. You've been cheating on me. And you're like, no, I never cheated on you. Well, you had an STD before. And, and so it's, it's something to definitely do. But, um, you know, I agree, with, I agree with Trevor on this. Don't take it to heart. Get off the Facebook. Don't be stalking his page. It's just going to piss you off. Just move on. Make sure, you know, get a new, you know, just throw the bed away. Go do donate the bed to, like, humane, you know, the Habitat for Humanity or whatever that he was cheating on you on. And then buy a new bed and, and forget about it. Get rid of his stuff and move on. You know, and that's the best thing you can do in such situation. But people do that. People do that to each other all the time. They cheat on each other all the time. It happens both ways. So, so um, I'll, say, I'll say one more thing, Steve, and then you can uh, introduce topic number eight. Um, so in Canada, the only way you can get an STI test is you actually have to go to a clinic. Um, it's not as anonymous as the United States. It's free, though, which is a positive. But I get an STI test as part of my yearly physical. And it's not humiliating at all. Like the, the nurses are very professional. They don't look down on you. They don't like make you feel dirty or anything like that. They actually are thankful that you're there. They encourage you to, you know, educate your friends on the importance of it. Um, I would really recommend getting it done. You know, it's, it's always good to have more information. Um, and then when you have a new partner, they're going to really appreciate the fact that you said, Hey, look, I just got an SDI test done. Here's my results. Um, I did this for you. Like I did this out of your, I did this out of respect for you. So it's just a win-win situation all around. Yeah. You can post it on your Instagram, Trevor, when you get that test done. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So the next question is, uh, <laughs> erection problems on cycle. And this is actually something very common. And, um, you know, there's two reasons that the two main reasons why people get erection problems on cycle are number one, lack of blood flow to the penis, because when they're on cycle, their heart health goes to shit because they're running very androgenic compounds. They're bloating too much because they're retaining so much water. And when that happens, it just makes sense that if you have a strained heart, the blood isn't going to flow through the body as, as well as it did before. So, that's a big part of having erectile dysfunction is heart issues. And that's why we see most men now in the United States have erectile dysfunction. That's why Viagra and Cialis sell so much pills. And because we're obese and we have heart disease up the yin yang. So it makes sense. The second reason, again, is estrogen. Sometimes if you cause your estrogen levels to go too low, you can have libido and erection issues because your estrogen needs to be at a good amount. It can't be too low. Um, so it's kind of, kind of both. So it can be androgenic reason, an estrogenic reason, estrogen too low. They're, those are the main factors of why on cycle. And also too, maybe you're just stressing your body out too. That's another theory I have. Like when you're on cycle, you're using steroids it's, they're harsh. They're harsh on the body. You're just stressing your body so much. And when your body's under stress, it, it can all affect the erection. Uh, uh, you know, Trevor, what do you, what do you think about this? What's your, what's your theory on uh, erection issues on cycle? So whenever someone is experiencing erectile dysfunction, everyone's quick to blame testosterone, low testosterone, low testosterone, low testosterone. I would say 95% of the time it's, it's not low testosterone. It's just being in poor shape. Like Steve said, it's low estrogen, actually. It's not usually actually high estrogen. It's normally low estrogen. 
because you do need some estrogen to sensitize the androgen receptor. So if you crush your estrogen, so let's say you're on cycle and you're using like letrozole as your AI and you're crushing your estrogen, you're not going to be the androgen sensitive. The androgen receptor won't be sensitized. And then a lot of those androgens won't actually be working, which is going to cause low libido. Because it's remember, the androgenic properties of steroids are what cause increases in strength, aggression, libido, and things like that. So your cycle will still work because you're still going to be getting all the anabolic properties. But if you crush your estrogen, you're gonna, your strength is going to suffer. Your joints are going to feel achy. Your libido is going to suck and things like that. So estrogen is actually a very important hormone for men. It's a hormone you don't want high and you don't want low. You want it right in the normal range. But normally, libido problems are just poor being out of shape because the amount of people, the amount of men suffering from erectile dysfunction is extraordinary. Uh, I think one statistic was like one in three men suffer from erectile dysfunction. And it's just being out of shape. It's just having too much body fat. It's having poor heart health, poor cardiovascular health. Um, one last thing I'll say, and then Steve, you can introduce the next topic is that I see all these young guys joking about taking Viagra and Cialis, like it's cool, or, you know, I'm going to pop a Viagra tonight or whatever. Your body can become dependent on those. Like you really don't want to be taking those daily or on a regular basis. Um, you don't need erectile dysfunction drugs if you're like 18, 19, 20, like, especially when you're that young, it's going to mess you up and you're probably going to become dependent on them later on in life. So it's just not a good idea. I mean, yeah, that's that's kind of my rant for the day. Steve, I don't understand when it became cool to have to depend on a drug just to get your dick up, like to fuck a girl. I don't I, 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 that that boggles the mind. It's kind of like porn, like people who are like proud that they look at porn, they like brag that they look at porn. Yeah, like it's the most bizarre have- thing ever. That's like a, that's a most beta thing you could do is have to take a pill just to fuck a woman. Like, exactly. Like if I had to take a pill to to knock up my wife that'd be the most embarrassing thing ever i wouldn't want i would i'd be horrified that got out like i'd be hiding that prescription in like a safe i'd have it in like a different bottle like but now people are like bragging about it like it's cool like you need to take a pill to get an erection like how is that alpha that's like the that's the opposite of alpha yeah, it's like your ancestors a thousand years ago in Russia, Trevor. They didn't go around popping pills to have sex with each other. I mean, you know what I'm saying? So, yeah, look at, you know, just look at our history, guys. These elect- er, the young guys have to remember, when I was your age, we didn't have these drugs. And we didn't have a problem having sex. There was sex everywhere in college. And now all you guys are taking these drugs in, while you're in college. It does it's because, like Trevor said, you're addicted to them. You've gotten yourself addicted to them. So congratulations. But if you are taking them, wean off of them, guys. You don't want to have to depend on these drugs. Run a natural, something natural that boosts libido and, 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 and helps with erections um, at the very least. That, that would be a much better solution. Uh, so the next one we have here, um, we're breezing through these, is a nerve pain in the back, neck, and arm. And this is something that um, I've experienced. And um, I really you know, hope none of you ever have to go through this, but there may come a time where it does, because as you get older, your um, discs in your spine start compressing. So if you kind of go online and look at a picture of what a disc looks like, it kind of looks like a sandwich. And there's basically jello, right? And what happens is as, when you weight train, that 
you be, your discs become more and more compressed to the point where you'll start getting herniations. And I have three herniations in my spine just from weight training. I've been weight training for 20 years, but it's also from having a desk job. It's also because I've been in several car accidents. It all kind of adds up as you get older. So you guys in your 20s have no clue what, what, you're, what, you know, what this is. So you think you're invincible, but as you get older, obviously it's gonna catch up to you. Um, so you gotta basically practice good decompression techniques. And how do we do that? Um, the way we decompress, especially if we're weight training a lot, is um, I highly recommend a lot of stretching. Um, yoga is great for it, hot yoga especially, because there's a lot of decompression in that. So you want to kind of, it's, it's the opposite of the compression. Um, an inversion table works really well. An inversion table will work really well on your back and your legs, but it won't work as well on your upper back and neck because there's not enough decompression using gravity on those parts, but it can really help, especially with your lower and middle back. So invest in inversion table. I highly recommend doing some Bikram yoga once a week is something that I strongly encourage you to do because it will decompress your spine. And I also recommend you be very, very careful on overhead lifts and lifting heavy. Um, very often. I, I, you know what? I mean, I used to lift heavy a lot. You know, I understand it's very fun to lift heavy. You get the ego going and stuff. But if you're overhead pressing constantly heavy, you're putting a lot of pressure on your discs. And over time, those discs are going to become degenerative and you're going to end up with herniations. And everybody who's over 40 years old, who's been weight training many years, has disc issues it's just that some have it affect them some have it hit nerves some have it differently maybe it doesn't affect you maybe it does i don't know but it's if you ever feel like pain going down your arm down to your fingers or numbness or something that's a red flag that you do have a pinched nerve somewhere along your spine or along a joint and you need to start backing off a little bit and start doing these decompression exercises. I'm gonna say one more thing, Steve, and then I'll let you introduce our last topic. I agree with everything you said. I recommend every weightlifter to go see a chiropractor and get an x-ray done. If the chiropractor you go to does not do x-rays, go see a different chiropractor because you really want a science evidence-based chiropractor. Most people who, especially if you have a background playing sports, playing hockey, football, lacrosse, any sort of contact sport, you're going to have a lot of vertebrae out. My spine was like an S. Like it was, it was like, I'm not a chiropractor, but I could look at my extra and be like, whoa, that's messed up. And you don't realize how bad you feel until you get better because you're used to it. You're just used to things being out of place and not feeling good. And, and your body is very good at compensating your body's going to work around it. Like if you have a vertebrae out, you're going to be a little bit more dependent on your left shoulder when pressing than your right shoulder. Or if your hip is slightly out, you're going to be leaning on one knee a little bit more than your other knee when squatting. Like your body is very good at compensating with things, but eventually something's going to give out. So I really recommend seeing a chiropractor. Do your research though, because there's a lot of bad chiropractors out there. And the main thing is you really want a science and evidence-based chiropractor 
So you want to be getting one that is doing x-rays, doing spine scans, things like that. You really want someone who's evidence-based, not someone who's just throwing you on the table and saying, oh, I can, I, I've been doing this 20 years. I just got an eye for it. No, that's, that's ridiculous. You want a science-based chiropractor. Yeah, the, the, the problem, Trevor, with chiropractors is they deal with the bones and they deal with x-rays. But an x-ray is not going to tell you anything about your discs. You need an MRI. So, you know, on this subject, I've been to chiropractors for my issue. They're not going to be able to help you on this. Like cracking your back is not going to help you. And anytime, like if they claim that they can help your disc, then they're, it's a scam. So for this, you have to do this on your own. You have to back off the weight training. You have to do stretching. You have to do the inversion table. This is stuff you have to do. This is your homework on your own. You cannot depend on any of these doctors to help you. An osteopath is going to give you a drug and inject you with some cortisone. That's what he's going to do. A chiropractor is going to crack your back. Again, that's not going to help with your disc at all. He can actually make it way worse. Because if, you're, if, you're, if your spine or disc are rubbing against the nerve, he can actually cause that to the nerve to get even more disturbed. So any of you listening to this, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you've ever been to a massage therapist and you leave there and you're like, holy shit, like I feel way worse. Like what the hell happened? Well, it's because they're actually irritating your nerve. So what Trevor's saying is different than what I'm saying because he's younger and these types of injuries are more things you start have to start worrying about when you get to 35, 40 years old. But when you're in your 20s, it's completely different. There's, there's a difference between bones and, and disc. So I pray that you guys never have problems with discs or nerves because that's, that's not fun at all. So uh, our final topic is, this is one that came in late, trouble with lagging arms, how to properly train arms. Um, I'll, I'm going to give a tip and I'll let Trevor finish up because I know Trevor uh, is an expert on this, but what, how, what really helps with arms, number one is genetics. Not everybody has Lee Priest genetics. Some people have long lanky limbs, so they have a hard time building arms. But what, what helps me with my arms is pull-ups, weighted pull-ups, gymnastics, stuff like that. It really forces your biceps to grow. One of the worst things you can do is stand in front of the mirror and do bicep curls. You shouldn't even be in front of the mirror doing bicep curls. Those aren't going to force the growth of your biceps. So, you know, there's really no reason you shouldn't be doing weighted pull-ups, pull-ups, gymnastics, stuff like that. Those really, really get that, the bicep working, but you don't want to overtrain your biceps either. So, um, Trevor, give us, give us your, your thoughts on this. So the first thing I'm going to say is that the arms on a pro bodybuilder are most likely full of sight enhancing oil. So if you're looking at a pro bodybuilder and you want to get his arms, you won't, unless you want to use, you know, synthol or something like that. So that's just... I mean, the bearer of bad news, but I'm just giving you guys the, the reality of it. Number two, whenever you're dealing with a muscle group that is far from your core, so that would be, you know, arms, calves, things like that, they respond, they respond best to high reps and high volume. So like Steve said, you're going to want to be doing some compound movements. You want to do pull-ups, dips, narrow grip, bench press, things like that. But when you do isolation movements, things like bicep curls, um, overhead dumbbell, tricep extensions, things like that. You're going to want to be doing high volume. 
you're not going to be wanting doing, you know, five, six reps. You're going to want to be doing 15 to 20 reps. You're going to really want to fill that muscle with blood because most of the muscles in your extremities, your calves and arms respond best to high reps just based on the muscle fiber anatomy. So that would be my suggestion. Um, most guys who have crappy arms are just skinny. You know, you're just going to need to get bigger. Like Steve said, like you're going to need to focus on getting your pull-up strength up, your bench press strength up, things like that. You're most likely just focusing on your arms because you're wearing a t-shirt and you can see your arms, right? Same thing when someone says, oh, your calves suck. Well, you're wearing shorts. So you can't see that the fact his quads and hamstrings also suck. You only see the calves. So I think this whole, my arms suck, my arms suck. I think that's kind of, you're missing the big picture. In my opinion, I think you just need to put on more muscle altogether. But I think because you're wearing a t-shirt, you notice your arms more than you would notice, you know, your back or your or pecs or anything like that. Steve, do you have anything to close up with before I finish off the show? Yeah, I just want to say um, if you go and look at the biggest motherfuckers in your gym that have the biggest biceps and ask them what, what they do for their biceps, I guarantee you they're not going to say that they stand in front of the mirror uh, curling 30, 35-pound weights all day. And I see a lot of guys doing that, especially the young guys who have really, really skinny arms. They'll go in like their little groups, two, three, four guys, and they'll stand there in front of the mirror doing curls. That's not going to – the way to grow your, your bicep, guys. That's all a show. That's all a ruse. You ever seen these uh, bodybuilding videos? They stand in front of the mirror doing that. It's a, it's a video, guys. They're trying to show off their vascularity and stuff. Right, right Trevor? It's marketing. But that's not how they, how they got their arms. So don't just like look at a video of, of uh, Ronnie Coleman or Jay Cutler and be like, hey, he's in front of the mirror curling, so I'm just going to do that. Guys, it's, it's, it's a show, and that's, that's, that's the reality of it. You don't see what goes on you know, off the video and how they really, really built, built those big biceps. So ask, ask the guys in your gym you know, how they got their biceps, and, and you'll see exactly what we're talking about. Don't, don't ask them in the middle of their set, though. Ask them uh, before their workout or after their workout. Last thing we want you to do is uh, get punched in the face or something. That was it. Uh, it's another good episode. If you guys have any questions, you can send me a DM on Instagram or you can send me an email. I have both of those in the show notes. If you are on the evolutionary.org forums, you can send Steve a private message or a visitor message. Um, if you're not on the evolutionary.org forums, I'd definitely check it out. Me and Steve are on there every single day answering listener questions for free. Um, so if you like the show, uh, you want to pick me or Steve Brain, or we've got a lot of other really good moderators, log on. It's completely free, evolutionary.org. You just click the forum section, and it's uh, no topics are off limits. So you can talk about steroids. You can talk about working out. You can talk about nutrition. You can talk about sources. You can talk about absolutely anything. So for your host, Trevor Critton, for my co-host, Steve Smee, this is another episode of Evolutionary Radio. Live your life, look good doing it. Thanks for listening. Hey.